I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8. That is my hymnal. (laughs) My Bible's been open the whole time. Ecclesiastes, chapter 8. Beginning in verse 2, Solomon continues to apply the ethos, the way of wisdom And there are times where it is hard to hear what he has to say to us. It would be far more easy for us to simply do what we want, except in the end we find misery and pain. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'm sorry, 8, beginning in verse 2, I'll read until the end of the chapter, verse 17. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy upon him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city, For they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But... It will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity, and I commend joy For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray for the preaching of it. Lord, give us listening ears, I think especially of our children, and how it's hard to sit still, to pay attention to hear not just from the Bible good news, but hard news, hard things, 
things that challenge our immaturity, and not only the children, but the adults of like. Lord, help us to lay ourselves open before you that you might, through your word, do that spirit-wrought surgery that is essential to sanctify us and to call us to salvation. Make us believers, hearers but doers, that we might be equipped for every good deed, that we might be your profitable spirits here on earth to bear light to the world around us. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. So some reflection on the two sermon series that I've been going through. The book of Revelation feels a lot different from the book of Ecclesiastes. Revelation feels like flying at 35,000 feet, and Ecclesiastes feels like digging a ditch in Georgia red clay, personally speaking. And I say that because I come to the book of Ecclesiastes and I'm going, all right, where's the epic stuff? Where's the stuff that sort of brings our hearts into the clouds and we soar with the glory of Christ risen and ascended upon his throne? And then you get to the book of Ecclesiastes and what it really feels like is those times where your parents sit you down and they tell you how the world is and your heart sinks a bit. Or like that time you get your first job and you see all the money that's taken out of it and you never see it and you go, (gasps) or when you get that first car insurance bill, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or you get that paycheck and you think, sweet, I'm going to the bank and then three days later, uh, where's my next paycheck? And it's still four days away. There is a kind of harshness and hardship and monotony, even the good things appear at times monotonous to us. Now, the way that the world handles this is they engage in all kinds of things that will prevent boredom. Children, I'm telling you, and if my kids say to me one more time, I'm bored, they'll hear the same answer. Parents, maybe you say this. Good. Because that's where creativity takes root. That's where you learn to stop relying on television, video games, entertainment, amusement, and you apply to life ingenuity, creativity, thought, discipline. Solomon is writing to the church, and he's saying to them this, you're not God, live like it. Live in a manner that reflects submission to your heavenly Father as the primary act of spiritual obedience. All obedience is religious in nature because it is first and foremost directed to God. What I mean is this, tonight, parents, when you go home, dinner has to be served. Right? And the longer you stay at church and talk, the harder dinner gets and the more those blood sugars drop. And you think, it would just be easier to stay at home. But where would you gain such perspective? (laughs) The perspective that the scriptures bring is not found at the bottom of the cereal box. It is found in the house of God. And so while we're here, 
I want us to think about these Sunday evening sermons as getting our hearts right before we go out on Monday to do battle. Three points that I want to make tonight. First, wise submission. Second, holy fear. And then thirdly, content, content reception or contented reception. Let's look at this first point, wise submission. Beginning in verse 2 all the way through verse 9, Solomon gives to those who endeavor to live wise lives how they are to react and live as those under authority. And here's the bad news. It's actually good news, but it comes like bad news. You will always be under authority. Teenagers, you can't escape it. It may not be your mom and dad. In fact, here's a principle. The more you rebel, the longer you will be in the prison of the authority of your parents. If you wish to be free from that parental authority, the only way to do that is make of your parents your friends. And the only way to do that is to not be a worthless cretin. Right? To live with perspective and gratitude. For no other reason than this, that God has designed for teenagers a future parenthood of teenagers. And he's doing this. I cannot wait to show you just how difficult parenting as imperfect people is. There are no just kings. There are no just parents. When I say just, I mean only. I don't mean justice. There are no mere human relationships. Lewis talks about this, right? You've never met a mere mortal. And so every time you submit to any authority, you are submitting first to Christ, who is the head, and then to all men. So every act of submission is a religious, spiritual act. We do not believe that above authority there is only sky. We believe that God reigns supreme. Even in Ephesians 5, the Lord knows of the difficulty for wives to submit to their husbands. And so he says it this way. Wives, submit to your husbands in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. It is not due to the character and perfection or lack thereof of a husband or of a governor, a king, a president, a congressman, whoever your authority figures are, we do not submit out of their perfection, but rather the perfect one whom Solomon says has made an oath to men. Even when the president of this nation ought to put his hand on the Bible, he is swearing an oath. And whether or not he intends to keep that oath, God holds him to that oath. Even if he did not make that oath, God has made an oath. All men who are in authority over other men do so in covenant with God. No man dwells outside of covenant with God. You are either a covenant keeper or a covenant breaker. And so when we see authority, we do not see it as an end-all, be-all, that our lives begin and end with whoever's in the White House or whoever's in the castle, but whoever reigns supreme in the courts of heaven. So no man rules himself. And so when we come to authority, the foundation for submission is this. Do it in the Lord. Do it as 
unto those who have been put there by the Lord. Now, sometimes the leaders that we are given are an act of God's judgment. Sometimes the leaders we are given are an act of God's condescending blessing. But all of it by the divine decrees of God. You need to believe this. It is not by accident. It is not by chance. It is not by theft that men enter the White House. It is by design. No man rules himself. All are under Christ Jesus. And so the authority of the king is under Christ. Now the king needs to realize this, doesn't he? More than any. And so he ought to rule in humility, but they always do not, right? They don't always rule in humility. Even there are unrighteous kings. But the comfort, the consolation, isn't even the character of the king. It is this. The king is not supreme. Look at verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy upon him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. They are limited just like you and me. Their power is limited because they too, like you and me, though we may feel it more because we are weak or poor, we are not sovereign. And before God, we are ants, dust upon the scales. We have no power. All of it is not only given to us, but it is limited by our creatureliness. And so, since all authority that is found within the corporate, that means public, children, that means more than one person. Your family is a corporate structure. Your church, the state in which you live, the nation in which you live, these are public structures, organizations, all of these derive their authority not from power or money or persuasion, but from God. So that means, children, your parents are your parents by design. Get over it. By design and not their design. And believe me, as much at times as you wish, man, I wish I had this kind of parent, your parents have tenfold said, I wish I had this kind of child. They may not say it to you, but believe me, they're talking about you behind your back. I just wish Timmy, there's no Timmies here, are there? Okay, good. Would do X. Why can't he be more like, right? Everyone struggles with discontentment in the relationships that they share with one another. In fact, even in the churches in which you have been brought, if it were up to you, would probably excommunicate certain people that have no business being excommunicated, right? I just don't like that person. I'm not going to talk to them. And in your hearts, you may excommunicate them. You may say, uh-uh. But we must understand, as Solomon says, not only do you not get to choose who the king is ultimately, that's by God's design, but you must live as one who has no sovereign choice. It's like going to the restaurant and there's only one thing on the menu. 
right? And God gets to choose. That is the way it is, ultimately. And so our submission is ultimately a fulfillment of a vow that we make to God. Or we ought to. Our submission is as unto the Lord. And it does not mean giving up on good plans. Sometimes it seems if we submit to this way, how will God make something good of it? Now here is what you need to do. You need to go home and you need to look at God's covenant purposes and plans with Israel in the Old Testament. And you need to ask yourself this question. How in the world did we get from the rebellion of the southern and northern kingdom of Israel to Reformation OPC? Because there is a direct covenantal line between those people and us. And here is the connection. Here is the through line. The mercy of God and his patience towards sinners. That's it. I think it was MacArthur that said, if we could lose our salvation, we would have already lost it. Our designs are not good, but God's are. We cannot restrain the spirit of God. We cannot stop the day of death. Wickedness does not avail man of anything but war. But Christians are to declare the true way of peace. And it begins with submission. Now, what particularly, that's not for this evening. That's another conversation. What are the ends of our submission? And I will say this. First, we are to submit and be faithful to the word of God. Second, to the words of men. And where the words of men seek to call us to violate the words of God, we say no. But do you know what that is? That is also submission. In fact, it is a submission that brings transformation to men. We submit to Christ first. So not only submission, but holy fear. In fact, these are connected concepts. Both kings and subjects are to submit to the reality that there is a God above and he requires, demands, calls you to obedience and faithfulness. Rulers err. Subjects err. That means they make mistakes. Men err. We saw that in chapter 7, verse 20, right? No one does only righteousness, all men sin. Rulers and subjects delight in what is unlawful. We see this in our culture today. People not only sin, but they get online and they brag about their sin. I mean, you see it today on TikTok, boasting about your abortion, where women get online and they boast. Why are they boasting so noisily? to drown out their own guilt in their heart, frankly. Ruling well and submitting well can only be done with a heart of fear. Now, when I say fear, there is something of trembling in the presence of God. It's a reflex, isn't it? If you were to be brought in the presence of God now as a sinner, you would say, as Isaiah did, I am a sinner and I am undone. Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. There would be trembling. But fear is a reverential devotion to the one true king of heaven and earth. So Solomon moves into this next section in verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place. They were praised in the city. But where are the wicked now? They're dead and gone. 
What is Solomon reminding us of? The way they used to walk through the city, proud and arrogant, thinking, I will live forever. We often act that way, though we know we won't. They're dead. Solomon is reminding the reader, he is reminding us that all men end up in the same place. They end up in the dirt. They end up in the grave. And so he moves from submission to fear in this way. If we are to rightly order our relationships with our superiors, we need to have our relationship with God in order. And that is an order of fear. We are to fear God. This is one of the quotes that I have carried with me ever since I heard it. It is from Thomas Jonathan and many who admire him, Stonewall Jackson. He says this, My religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself with that, but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live. And all men would be equally brave. Submission takes courage. Submission takes a spine. Submission is not bending over like Gumby. It is to willfully, humbly say, okay. It requires a fear of the Lord. It requires strength. Strength that requires the mortification of fearing men and whatever circumstances that you have no control over. 1 Peter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Oh, maybe we should have t-shirts made, right? Reformation OPC, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And there in the middle, the call that brings all things into context and perspective, fear God. It is the beginning of wisdom. It's a refrain through the wisdom books. The fear or reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It brings stability. It trains the heart to love, to know, to submit. And then he continues. Because, verse 11, the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now, this is not just instruction for parents. Hey, when your kid does something wrong, deal with it. Don't, I'm going to count to three. One... You know what kids do? They always wait till three, or they keep waiting, right? Because they know you're not serious. Deal with it. And not just to parents, but children, this is how you are to think when you commit evil. Mom, Dad, I need to be punished. Now, here's the thing. You will be the first child in the history of the world to ever ask for it, <laughs> right? No child, no Human loves discipline. But we're called to. In fact, the promise of speedily being disciplined, that is, discipline in this life, is the preservation of the heart 
and the prevention of eternal discipline in hell. You want temporary judgment because it will nurture in your heart a holy fear, not only of the Lord, but a holy fear of eternal separation from the mercy and grace of God forever. You see, the wicked think by design, by the amassing of power, by the corruption of the law, by the oppression of the weak, I can establish for myself a kingdom, and I'll push off that other stuff. And yet, like all things, in the end, God's providence catches up with us all. We should desire, in the fear of the Lord, to know his discipline that we might be taught to number our days, not to fear men, but to live free. Think about that. The freedom that comes by fearing no man and fearing God alone. Right? The freedom that when your peers, young people, say, let's go this way, and in your heart you are resolved with joy to say, no. Sin is a monster. It is chain, it is ball, it is shackle, it is terrible, and you ought to fear it. You ought to fear its end. And it may seem pleasant for a time, right? It brings great pleasure, but there is always a hollow emptiness in the end. We are to revere the Lord. Thirdly, content or contented reception. Do you see how these concepts are linked? We are to seek the face of God. When you go dancing, one person leads, right? The man leads. And if he leads well, he makes it easy for his partner. What if both tried to lead? What would it look like? It would look like a jumbled mess. Toes would get stepped on. It would not be beautiful. God leads. And woe be unto us if we seek to take the lead from him. Content reception. Don't get caught up with the things that don't belong to you. Right? Children, your parents teach you from a young age, don't touch that. Don't go into the safe. Stay out of there. That's not yours. Hands off. Now, kids, you may say, oh, I want to, <laughs> Right? Whenever they bring that hot plate, don't touch. Every thought in my head when they say don't touch is what? I'm going to touch it. Right? We bristle. We, we do not like anyone telling us what to do. But this isn't just anyone. This is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, our creator, our redeemer. And he tells us there is a vanity, verse 14, that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. What is he saying? There does not appear to be any justice on earth. Why do the righteous live short lives? Why did Hugh Hefner live into his 80s? What a vile human. It would have been better had he never been born. But guess what? Somebody would have taken his place, right? And many are like him. But think of those 
believing children who die young, believing spouses, those who give and give to the work of the church. Even John Calvin didn't make it past 55, 56. And we go, man, what is the Lord thinking? And the answer is this. You don't know. And it is not for you to know. And it will never be for you to know. Because you, brothers and sisters, are not God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. Here is where we find ourselves often stuck in the mud. We wish to read from the book that God has never written, and we ignore the book that he has. Don't we? And we scorn the providence of God because we forget the salvation that has been revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you have a lot to read and learn before you ever curse God and his wisdom. Right? Memorize this first. That's your assignment. Then complain. <laughs> don't, actually, don't complain, even if you do memorize this. In fact, what will happen is this. The more that you take this in, the more you ingest this, the less of a complainer you become. The less you bristle under the providence of God. The more this stays closed and these stay open. It makes a certain kind of person, doesn't it? That looks an awful lot like Christ, who said... I came to do the will of my Father. Even if that will, John 17, is there another way, Christ asked, and the answer, of course, he knows it. No, this is the only way. Christ must suffer and bleed and die for the sins of his people. And so Solomon would have those who would be wise, which we all should seek to be, not for the sake of advantage, to somehow discover the secret things that belong to God. By wisdom, you will never find it. There is no treasure map. There is no secret Gnostic heretical gift. It is all here, and it is simple. The things that are plain, believe those things. The things that are not so plain, be humble. Otherwise, how will you ever rest? If you are always seeking to discern that which you will never know, your life will be an abject misery because you will never be content with what you have. Right? It's like watching a child stuffing their face with a cookie and they look at the other kid and they have a cookie and what do they want? Is that not what it is like? We are to be content with what we have been told. Do not get caught up with the things that do not belong to you. Instead, this is wisdom. Search to know, but when it is clear that it is something that does not belong to you or any man, let go of it. Be content. This is what Solomon means when he says, and I commend joy. How can you have joy if you're always going, Lord, what do I do? Show me a sign. You look in the clouds or you look in the palm or the tea leaves. Or like Saul, you call upon demonic activity. 
And Satan will give you an answer, but it will not lead you to glory. No. Instead, be joyful. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. Now, the humanist manifesto is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. It calls upon no confidence in the future. The Christian manifesto is what? Content yourselves with the simple things of earth because God has secured your salvation. It's not man-centered. It's Christ-centered. They are wholly different. What I'm saying to you is this. Tonight when you go home and the blood sugar is low and you're tired, get in the bed and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. Pour a glass of wine. Eat some cheese and some bread. And delight in the good gifts of God. Or whatever. Grape juice. (laughs) And sit and go, thank you. It may be a $10 bottle, right? It may not be a $40 bottle. (laughs) But it's something. And it's what God has allotted to you. Rejoice in those things. Be content, therefore, with what you have been given, for this is the will of God. In fact, the only way to delight, to receive, and to even worship is you have to let go of some things. You could be, right now, doing something in the house, couldn't you? That last load of laundry that never made it into the washer and dryer. That last phone call, invoice, right? Leave it. Just leave it. Leave it. Be content that God, in his wisdom and majesty, is working. And he is preparing for us things that are far beyond our imagination. Seek, search, endeavor to know, but realize this from the outset you're going to come up against some hard walls of God's secret will. And when you come to that wall and you wonder, what is it? Don't look at the wall and try to peer around it. You're not going to see. Look to Christ and find confidence and hope. In fact, God has given us clear instructions. Turn to what we do know. Micah 6.8 He has told you, O man... What is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? How long? I don't know. Where? Everywhere you go. When? All the time. Do this as unto the Lord. So here is what I would call clear, honest application. I want you to think of this tonight, this week, for the rest of your days, if it's of any profit to you. Leave to God the things that are God's. Be faithful with the things that God has given and revealed. Be orthodox in doctrine that is plain. Be humble in doctrine that is less plain. Take time to write down the extensive blessings that you can count, number, name, recall, and be grateful for those certain blessings, even what's hard. Let those things hang like jewels around your neck and be glad 
Let them be simple, clear, and succinct, and repeat them to your children. Take time, delight in the good things. I want you to thank God for his revealed providence. That's what I'm saying. Be resolved to accept the hard things and pray for grace. And above all, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll close with this, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. There's a verse that takes a whole life. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes or surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't complain. Give thanks. Let's pray.